Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and we've got a lot of good stuff to talk to you about. Obviously, the Suns coming off a big Game 2 victory, their second straight blowout of the Denver Nuggets. But I'm very excited today because we are joined by a special guest. He is an NBA writer who's contributed for Dime on Uproxx, The Analyst, and Fansided back in the day. He is a true basketball connoisseur, and honestly, he's one of my favorite writers to read in this NBA industry. Mr. Jackson Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I appreciate the kind words. I'm excited to uh, talk about a, a pretty fun series as someone who's, you know, enjoyed watching the Suns rise this year and, and last year as well. It is. And Jackson, for those of you who are not familiar, has been a uh, honorary part of Suns Twitter for about a year or two now. He was uh, like Kevin O'Connor. He was on the bandwagon very early as far as seeing this team's potential. So we love Jackson around these parts. Um, but like you said, this has been an interesting series, even though both games have been blowouts. It's They've been fun basketball games to watch, but um, obviously we can't talk much about this series without mentioning Chris Paul, who is starting to look healthy again. Um, you know, in that first round series, he averaged like nine points and eight assists a game. He was shooting like 38% from the field. Um, and then in games one and games two of this series, he's looked a lot more like himself. Jackson, what have you seen from CP3 so far in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you saw, I mean, you mentioned kind of, I think he averaged nine, nine points in the first round, but you saw inklings the last couple of games, um, especially that game four, game four or five, I can't recall which one, where he kind of took over in the fourth um, with a bevy of mid-range jumpers, but you're just seeing him look a lot more comfortable and get into his spots consistently, because even when he was, you know, dealing with the shoulder injury most significantly, he would have times where he'd hit a pull-up jumper, things like that. You say, maybe Chris Paul's back to himself but then he would go dormant for long stretches. And now again, you're seeing him be willing and comfortable to take a lot of shots. There's more zip on his passes again. I remember kind of, it was either right when he got injured in game one against the Lakers or game two, where he had a couple of passes where they just were, they were flat. Um, but game one against the Nuggets, he had a beautiful pass early in the game, Jay Crowder for, for a three or a long two, I can't recall which. Um, so he just, you know, he needs, he's so confident in kind of attacking mismatches often it's been against Michael Porter Jr. But um, I think he had one over Paul, a couple over Paul Millsap the last couple of games, maybe to Michael Green. Um, he just kind of, you know, it's cliche to say he looks back to his normal self, but um, I mean, the assist to turnover ratio has been ridiculously good. I think he's at 72 assists to 10 turnovers. And that was with the fact he couldn't really dribble for two and a half games with his right hand. Um, and so he just, I mean, he's, he's back to where maybe early in the playoffs, you saw like kind of the flashes of the all NBA guard that he's been throughout the year, but the last couple of games, especially, he's given you all NBA impact from from the outset. Obviously, he's kind of dominated with the scoring down the stretch, but the assist numbers have been incredible. And he's just doing a great job of kind of organizing the offense and making complex reads um, when it, when it's asked of him. Even though the Suns' offense does a good job of often simplifying those reads, but they're not always necessary when you have it's not always necessary to simplify when you have a guy like CP or even Devin Booker to an extent. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he and Devin, but we'll talk about this a little bit, but he and Devin Booker have been pretty masterful as far as moving the ball in this series. Um, game one, 21 points, 11 assists, six rebounds, 
eight of 14 shooting only one turnover. And then he scored 10 straight in the fourth quarter to kind of bust the game wide open and, and make sure it wasn't going to be a comeback situation for the nuggets. And then game two last night, 17 points, 15 assists, zero turnovers um, shot six of 10 just uh, and, and you know, the best part is like you were saying, he's been, uh, picking and choosing his spots in, in, especially in the first series, he was kind of doing what he could, but in this series, he has not been unwilling to let it fly. And he's been very, uh, selective as far as who he is calling out on offense or on defense from the nuggets and, and how he's targeting them. Um, poor Michael Porter Jr. Man, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about him, but he'll have a lot of oh. good, a lot of good film to watch after this, after this. Oh series. man. Our buddy David Nash from The Four Point Play, and if you're listening to this podcast and don't follow David Nash's work, you need to change that because he is very good about breaking down the film. Um, but he wrote a newsletter this morning about <laughs> how the Suns were targeting MPJ and watching back all the clips, like back to back to back, it was <laughs> legitimately cruel. And it was like Chris Paul 90% of the time. Um, and they didn't. They didn't game one. It was just in a different way, where it was less switches and more like, <laughs> okay, MPJ is going to play in the corner you know, on the weak side defensively. We'll just we'll run everything through that and make him make him make him force him to make a decision. And then in game two, it was like, all right, well, I mean, we'll do that to an extent, but we'll just start switching him. And then, yeah, I read that. I read David's piece this morning, and as I, I agree that it was like, you know, I noticed it when I was watching the game, but then you you watch these twelve clips in succession, like, oh man, it's even more prominent this way. <laughs> it really is, and. and- we got to give Paul props on that because so many of them were him literally telling a guy to get out of the way and signaling MPJ's man to come and scream for him. Um, Do you, before we wrap up with Chris Paul, do you feel, because I feel like, like Compazzo is big for what the Nuggets do as far as ball movement is concerned and he's a good player, but I feel like that Chris Paul matchup is one that, Paul also relishes as far as like picking on the guy because he's smaller and I mean Paul is like this six foot guard who loves cooking bigs but I feel like he's really relishing this opportunity to play against a guy who's smaller than him for once in his career how how playable is Campazzo in this series if Chris Paul is is back to his normal self yeah I mean it's tough because Denver doesn't have a lot of options. I mean, the logical maybe counter is to say, let's go play Shaq Harrison more. And, and Harrison got a bit of run against the Blazers, um, but he just doesn't give you anything offensively. He's a, he's a much better defender because he has better size. Um, so I think for Denver, it's a matter of, I mean, the offense and the defense have struggled in these first two games. So there's not really a great solution, but, um, but I think if you, I mean, you've got, I mean, in, in, the, in the Suns, you know, kind of as the Blazers did when they played well against the Nuggets, they're just ignoring all these kind of tepid shooters. I mean, Composo's numbers, I think, from three are pretty solid on the year. But as you mentioned, he's so small. He doesn't really have a, a lightning quick release. And so they can really kind of sag off of him, whether it's to help on Michael Porter Jr. running off screens to muck up what Yoke is just doing in the post or on the perimeter, even Aaron Gordon, to an extent, who's created a, a bit in these couple of games. Um, so I think you still have to play Composo, but you just have, like, there's just, I mean, the fact of the matter is they're so undermanned. I mean, they... They're just so thin at guard. I mean, Will Barton was huge for them. I mean, Will Barton was good yesterday. And I know Michael Malone talked about that. He was kind of the only guy who I think he, he, I mean, Malone was very you know critical of his players, but I mean, Barton was so key for them. And I mean, Barton's a nice player, but I mean, they just, they just miss, I mean, they miss Murray, obviously, which is, which is to be expected, but 
Um, I think they got to keep playing Composo because of maybe what he can give you with the occasional occasional three or two in team sag off. Obviously, that's going to hurt you more than, it, than it's going to hurt you out more often because he's not going to take seven threes a game. But they need that offense, and he's, he can run the he can run the offense a little bit in the sense that like he can dribble and he had a nice play in the first half of game one where he kind of probed in a pick and roll and then threw the ball over the top to Jokic. So so you need him. It's, I mean, it's just it's just more of an indictment of kind of the available options because of all the injuries they've endured and. Um, and the fact that, you know, Monte Morris was great against the Blazers for most of that series, but his jumper is kind of seeming, seemingly abandoned him for the time being. But um, they just don't have a lot of great options. Even if you want to give Morris a few more minutes, you're still going to have to play Faku, you know, 20, 25 minutes, assuming the game is, is closed throughout, which granted it hasn't been. But, you know, you still have to play him rotation minutes, I guess, is kind of the, the way I would go about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's one of those uh, pick your poison deals in, in more aspects than one of the series. But with Campazzo, you need him out there, but it's it's just cruel that they don't have the guard depth to make it more difficult for Chris Paul and Devin Booker because those guys are already going to do extraordinary things <laughs> as it is, and yeah. that kind of advantage is just is rough. Um, but I've I've been kind of impressed as far as Monty Williams' offense has been concerned, and I'm sure most people listening have read the Zach Lowe piece that he wrote um, two days ago on the Suns pick and roll offense and just how it's kind of been elite and taking the Nuggets defense apart with a lot of a lot of defenders that are pre-rotating and against guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker that has been a recipe for success for Mm -hmm. Phoenix what what have you seen from the Suns offense and from the Nuggets defense that's just really not working and I'm not sure what they can adjust really but I am curious to hear your thoughts on what you've seen from from that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a piece after game one over at Dime kind of about what the what the Suns did to pick apart you know, with mostly with the with the ball screen offense. But, you know, it was it was partially talking about how they picked on Michael Porter Jr. in a different way, not just on switches, but also about how they they make things so difficult for that that low man, the guy who was supposed to, you know, kind of pick up, you know, eight and when he rolls or whoever it is rolling to the basket. Um, because the Suns can can throw eight and plus two ball handlers and two great floor spacers on the floor, um, you know, with Crowder, Mikel, CP, and Booker. Uh, and then Aiden, obviously, was a tremendous finisher and has been even better finishing at the rim in the, in the, uh, in the postseason somehow, which is I mean, he's already great in the regular season there. Um, but they just make it so tough because, you know, if you pre-rotate, they're going to you know, they're gonna make that skip pass because Booker can make it because he has the size and CP can make it because he's one of the best, you know, passers ever. Um, you know, Book, Booker had a, a, a brilliant play in game one where I think it was in the second half. He kind of, they ran that, they love running those pin downs and handoffs for, for Booker. And he came around and, uh, and I think it was either Mikel or Crowder who MPJ was guarding and ate and rolled to the basket. And Booker kind of jumped in the air and, and stared down the guy on the wing. And MPJ was like, I don't know what to do. And then he finally rotated and Booker at the last second threw it and, and ate and made an awesome catch and finish. Um, so they're just making things really tough. Either there's, there's no one really to, you know, be the low man or that person has to decide, do I, do I guard the, the guy who's a pass away and, and then Booker or CP can make the open, the easy swing pass for a spot up three, or do I, do I take away the role? Uh, and so it's, you know, it, it's a really tough challenge for them, but, uh, the biggest issue too, is the fact that, you know, They'll play Jokic so high because Jokic does some things well defensively, but it's not, he's not the traditional rim protector. You know, you're not going to drop him like Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid and ask him to, you know, just deter guys to the rim. He just doesn't have that level of, you know, explosiveness off the ground and things like that. 
So they'll hedge him a lot or they'll show him where they're trapped. Uh, and then that leaves, you know, someone else like Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr. to rotate to tag Aiton on the roll. Um, and the Suns are, you know, the Suns know how to exploit that because they have great ball handlers and they have good ball movement. Um, they did, they, they picked, picked Denver apart like that in game one. And then especially in game in the third quarter yesterday, if I recall, uh, and then one play, I think it was when CP was you know, doing his thing as a passer, maybe it was in the fourth quarter. They finally dropped Jokic back. Like, okay, we're not going to give that up. And then Jokic was it really deep dropped in the paint and CP is like, okay, we'll just run a high ball screen and I'll get to my spot on the right wing or the right elbow and I'll hit my open pull-up jumper. So the, yeah, I, I agree. There's not really a great, great option given kind of the, the personnel. And I mean, they're in you know, is the MVP for a reason, but you're kind of seeing some of the limitations of, you know, like when you're, when you're, when you're, when you don't have the defensive personnel around him to make it work. I mean, they would love to have PJ Dozier, even Jamal Murray. I mean, Murray isn't some incredible defender, but he's pretty solid for a guard these days and has size and strength at the point of attack. Um, so that's not to criticize Jokic so much as you're seeing very much the limitations of Denver's defense when there's no one to really complement what, you know, what Jokic can do. And a lot of it is Paul Millsap going from a guy who can be a starter level, you know, big to someone who is just more of a, a bench guy. Uh, and Millsap was, was really good in game one. He, he struggled yesterday, but he's been pretty solid in the playoffs. But uh, they just don't have a lot of personnel to insulate Jokic and you know the the offense was fine in round one against the Blazers because one because the Blazers defense is very poor but two because Jokic <laughs> is incredible um but it's a lot tougher when you when the offense can be okay and the defense is getting picked apart uh and I, I guess the Nuggets you know defense wasn't great around one either but um when you go from facing the 29th ranked defense to the you know the Suns were what fifth or sixth this year I think in defensive yeah. rating um, it, it's a lot tougher. And so you're seeing kind of the challenges of what Denver can do um, when Jokic is maybe not, doesn't have the surrounding cast to really, you know, insulate him defensively and accentuate what he can do with his, his quick hands and his smarts. Yeah. And it's been, it's been glaring in terms of the Nuggets personnel. Cause like you said, I don't know how many tactical adjustments they can really make to fix things because they're just mm -hmm. so limited in terms of, uh, having the right defenders, not having Jamal Murray to put pressure on the other end. Um, Suns have a 125.6 offensive rating through the first two games of the series per NBA.com, which is stupid. <laughs> um, all five of their their starters have scored in double figures in both games. I think in game one, they had four guys that had 20 plus. Um, so it's not like one guy is really picking apart the Nuggets like in the last round when Damian Lillard was just absurd it's just a balanced attack it's coming from everywhere um they're moving the ball really well they're shooting i think 43 percent from three over these first two games and obviously small sample size theater but in the playoffs every single game matters and the adjustments that you can make but i don't know how many you can make in this situation especially with michael porter jr because like we've been talking about the nuggets are very limited in terms of, you know, if a guy is struggling or if a guy is getting picked on defensively, they don't, it's not like they can just, you know, go next man up. They don't, they're not that deep and they have a lot of guys down. Uh, but the Suns were ruthlessly hunting Michael Porter Jr., uh, especially in game two, um, you know, just constantly putting him in pick and roll actions. Like you were saying, as far as having to make those backline decisions about whether to tag or whether to stay out on a shooter. Um, and even when he has rotated to the shooters, it's always been just a step slow or a step late. Um, and these sons are going to knock those shots down. 
Um, David Nash pointed this out in his newsletter. The Suns shot 64% on 17 field goals that were defended by Porter, including six for eight from three-point range, which is – that's tough. <laughs> that's really tough. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially if he's only got 11 points on three of 13 shooting. Like, what do you, what do, you do with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think – I think offensively he's just missing some shots you normally because like because you can watch it's okay yeah he's not taking good shots but if you watch MPJ at all, like throughout the year it's like those he he hits ridiculous <laughs> shots because he's an incredible scorer um, especially for his age but defensively beyond kind of the maybe some of the the lack of timeliness off the ball as a defender he just doesn't play with physicality defensively like he trusts his length too much which is what I've noticed kind of watching him throughout these playoffs especially like. And, and he, but he has to because he's not super fluid defensively. He can't, he's, he's, I mean, he's, I think part of it is he's kind of stiff because he's had those back injuries. And I think he's still dealing with a stiff back or something like that. I think he was questionable at one point for game two. Um, but he just can't crowd a guy because if you, if he crowds them, like if you crowd CP, I mean, CP isn't, you know, super explosive, but he'll get by him. If even if he crowds Mikel, which he's done a couple of times in this series, Mikel will kind of get to his, you know, he'll, he'll run, he'll run Mikel off the line and Mikel will get to kind of his, two or three will pull up or get to the rim to finish. So uh, he's just in a tough spot because you'd like him to play kind of crowd guys a little more. But if he does that, he leaves himself really susceptible to getting beat off the dribble and the Nuggets don't have, you know, reinforcements behind him to, to really kind of, you know, protect the rim or protect the paint. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the Nuggets can maybe win a game or two, of, you know, because Jokic is, is incredible. And uh, if MPJ and MPJ is certainly capable of, you know, having a game where he goes 12 or 17 for, for 30 points. Um, but I just I don't know what they do defensively, and I, I trust the Suns more. I trust the Suns' defense a lot more to consistently make get stops. Um, so it's just I mean I'm sure we'll see some tactical adjustments because you know Michael Malone's been here before. I mean they've been down three one before they've trailed, and I think I, I think every series that Michael Malone's coach they've trailed at some point um, with the Nuggets. So. Um, we'll see some adjustments, but I don't know how meaningful they can be. You know, now that's not to say they're just going to adjust for the sake of adjusting, but I mean, they're just in a really, really tough spot. And that's, it's, it's not really their fault. I mean, it's just, it's a bummer that this team had a legit chance to win the title and then their second best player went out and, you know, kind of a, an important player in PJ Dozier, who is much less important than Murray, but he gives them some really great defense on the wing with size. So, I mean, they're just, they're undermanned and they, and even, even so it might've been a tough match. You know, I think it would have been a much better series with those two guys, but even then I think they would have had some struggles defensively. Um, so I, I don't know what really the answer is beyond, I mean, beyond MPJ figuring it out uh, offensively a little more and maybe making some better decisions defensively. But I mean, these are kind of long standing issues for him on that end. Yeah. It's a, it's a very tough spot. Like you're saying, cause if he's not being able to contribute offensively, he's, a big he's been a big liability on the defensive end I don't think he will be as bad as he's been through the first two games at least I hope not for his for his sake but um it's it's a tough spot because they just don't have a lot of options that they can turn to and they were already undermanned heading into the series so um we'll see what maybe a change of scenery because I I will say that um I mean obviously I'm biased because I'm I'm in the arena but I feel like the Suns have the best home court advantage in the NBA right now, just in terms of how many fans are letting in and how uh, desperate these fans have been for playoff action after 11 years of the drought. Um, so maybe a change of scenery going back home in front of a friendly Nuggets crowd will help with the offensive end. Cause he did, like you were saying, he missed shots in game two, but 
he does take a lot of tough shots and make a lot of those same shots. So um, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back after this. Okay, so on to my favorite aspect of the series so far, um, mostly because heading into the playoffs, the biggest question for the Suns in terms of their younger guys and, and who would be ready to rise to this moment was DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, there's, there's been kind of this uh, helter-skelter relationship with DeAndre Ayton for the fan base because there are nights where he looks like an absolute superstar and then there are nights where he's just he just kind of doesn't look as focused or as locked in or as engaged as he should. Um, but Chris Paul said something that was funny after I think it was game one of this series or game six of the last series. But he said um, DeAndre Ayton was just waiting for this moment for the playoffs to start. And then he's come to life and he called him the MVP of the Suns uh, postseason so far, which is pretty high praise considering they had a guy who dropped 47 in the closeout game in the last round. Um, and obviously this was kind of the heavy build matchup because you've got the MVP on one side and Nikola Jokic, who was well-deserving of that honor. And then you've got DeAndre Ayton, who is in his first postseason ever third year in the league and needed to play well in this series. Um, what have you seen from that matchup? Because for me, it doesn't feel like the Suns are sending, you know, a ton of traps or a ton of, uh, you know, difficult defensive schemes at him. It, it really just seems like they are comfortable packing the paint, um, you know, crowding passing lanes and letting DeAndre Ayton hold his own against Jokic individually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think I either tweeted it out or I said it somewhere after game one, you know, Against the Blazers, it was the idea that, you know, in the first half, Yusuf Nurkic would do a pretty good job against Jokic, give him some issues. Uh, and then, you know, Nurkic would get so fatigued because it's a really hard job to, to defend Jokic. And he would see him make some undisciplined fouls in the second half, and Jokic would get a little more space. Um, but in this series, it's kind of been the opposite, right? Where, you know, Jokic was, I mean, he, he, I mean, he just, like, especially in game one, he just looked tired. I mean, he, he like, I think he airballed a corner three in the second half or it missed, I mean, it's, and, and Jokic has been great from three all, all season. Um, and, and I mean, and Aiton has been running the floor so hard. I mean, in game one, Jokic being on the floor a few times in the first half, and then it was kind of like Aiton realized that, or they talked about it at halftime, and he was like, here, I'm not going to do that, and then I'm going to I'm gonna kick your butt in transition. And Jokic is just, I mean, I, I think, again, I think I'll play better, but, I mean, Aiton is really making – I mean, Jokic has to do so much, especially because they're hedging them on defense. It's like that's a big responsibility for Jokic in addition to having to take, you know, 20, 24 shots. I think he's averaging 23 shots per game in the playoffs, which is about five more than he did in the regular season. Um, you know, and his assists are down. He had some really nice passes in the first half. Um, but they're letting they're letting kind of Aiton do his thing. And, um, you know, he's – I mean, you can only do so much because Jokic has legitimately turned himself into one of the best tough shot makers in the NBA. There aren't many guys that you feel more confident in when there's someone, you know, when there's a defender in his face, um, you know, making the shot there. But um, he's just kind of, I mean, is just doing a great job of kind of, you know, whittling down Jokic's, you know, I guess, I guess what's a stamina, I guess, is the word I would looking for there. Um, and that's not to say Jokic isn't conditioned. I mean, he's carrying his he'd workload and played heavy, plays heavy minutes every you know every playoffs and played 72 games i don't want to you know i don't want to tout that some narrative there um right. Jokic is just making him work really hard and you know when when Aiton runs the floor so flipping hard in transition um it's tough i mean there's a play i think in the second half yesterday uh of game two where you know Aiton played really good defense against Jokic. you know forced him into a kind of a tougher 
tougher leaner going to his right. And then Aiton just bolted down the floor and then drew a foul. Um, and I mean, and I think part of it was Jokic was looking for a foul and so he might've said something to the ref and was a step slow there, but I mean, he's just making him work really hard and, and it has a kind of a level of conditioning that we didn't see from Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, Aiton picked up two early fouls yesterday on a couple of, you know, bad plays. Like Aiton did not start the game yesterday. Um, you know, he, he settled for a couple of fadeaways, kind of reverted back to some old tendencies offensively, had a couple of bad fouls. Um, Jokic got free off the ball a couple of times, but he bounced back. And that was, that was the most impressive because I think, you know, you know, maybe the eight and of old might've, you know, let that get to him in terms of he might have had a two eleven night and had four fouls and played 24 minutes. Um, but he shrugged it off. Monty left him in. They went to zone briefly to kind of protect him there. And um, so I've just been really impressed about the way that, you know, you know, you don't expect the, the superstar to be kind of the one who is, you know, kind of s- slowing his impact down the stretch compared to the third year big. Um, that, that's kind of what's happened in these first couple of games, you know, where eight is just kind of grinding away at what Jokic has to offer because of how much the, how much the Nuggets are asking of him on both ends. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that play because I actually, I wrote about DeAndre Ayton versus Jokic in this first round for the morning. And I, I cause you had uh, included the video of that on Twitter and I linked to that tweet because it was the epitome of what he's been doing as far as being sound defensively, getting stops. And then as soon as they get the ball, they're running out and he's sprinting. Um, Devin Booker had, had made a joke after game one, I think it was, or last night, actually, he was talking about how, you know, he was sprinting full speed and transition. He looks over to his left and he sees Aiton like <laughs> pulling ahead of him. <laughs> he's like, damn, <laughs> this dude's just booking it. Um, and he was like going full speed. So um, he's doing exactly what the Suns have wanted him to do and what, and it's been a point of emphasis. Aiton has said that they've talked about this and, you know, he, he said, teams don't want to see me dunk. So they're going to put a body on me and that frees up our shooters. So he's, mm-hmm. I mean, for a, for a number one draft pick to kind of have that mindset of like being willing to sacrifice touches and um, you know, priority on offense to make his team better. That's pretty rare and it's it's very special and it's something that Suns fans should be proud of with him because he's doing exactly what they need him to do in this series against Jokic he's not he's not outplaying the MVP like Jokic is still putting up 23 11 and 5 um, he's shooting like 48 percent from the field so Jokic is going to get his and he's going to put up numbers even if it doesn't feel like he's not taking over the game um, but Aiton's been good and he's played him close enough to make sure because the Nuggets, like obviously without Jamal Murray shorthanded, they needed Jokic to be, you know, head and shoulders above Aiton in this series to have a chance. And Aiton's kept it close enough to where the Suns' depth and superior talent and the Nuggets' injuries have been, you know, they've risen to the top in this series. Um, he's actually held Jokic when he's been guarding him to 11 of 26 shooting. Um, which again, only two game sample size here. But if you include their five uh, games this season with the regular season, he's holding him to 40% shooting when he's played against him, which is pretty good. Um, And it's kind of cool because these two guys have a very deep mutual respect for each other. Um, You know, Jokic said heading into the series that Aiton's a guy that's given him a lot of problems. And Aiton, when they asked him about it, he goes, Wow, he said that. That's lit. I can hear it in his voice too. I, I can imagine exactly how how Aiden would say that as well. Yeah, and it was great. And I, I feel like the Suns have a distinct advantage, obviously, because the Nuggets are missing a lot of their 
other threats. Um, you know, getting Will Barton back for game two was, was big, but um, the Suns have that kind of scrambling defense to where they can, you know, put more bodies in the paint, show them a crowd and then recover um, because they have such a great scrambling defense. But um, it, it has been interesting to see that growth and, and that willingness to sacrifice by just doing, you know, defense, offensive rebounds, running in transition. Um, that's been really huge for them in this series. And we'll see if it can continue in game three on the road. But on the topic of game three, we've talked a little bit about this as far as there aren't too many adjustments to make, but heading into this matchup, I mean, the first two games were very one-sided. What are kind of your expectations for game three as we shift to Denver now? Yeah, I do want to uh, note one thing. Or late, Maybe late in the regular season, maybe with the regular season at one point, and eat some crow here. I tweeted that I would feel pretty dubious about paying DeAndre Ayton a big contract. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that anymore. I would, I'm, I will take the L on that one. <laughs> uh, he has completely shifted kind of my perception of him. You know, I, I was someone where he, he went through that big, really nice stretch at the end of the year, and I became a pretty, I was always kind of a believer um, to an extent, but I was, I was dubious kind of because of the inconsistencies. He's totally erased that. Um, so I just want to take the L on that. I had a couple of Suns fans respectfully ask me about it, like not, not calling me out, but just asking about it. So I just want to acknowledge that I would be certainly comfortable to pay Aiton um, a really hefty contract um, because of the way he's played the last you know three or four months. Um, but game three, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of expect it to be similar. Uh, honestly, yeah. I think this. I mean, I, I need to pull up the Nuggets shooting numbers. If I recall, they're pretty poor in game three, two. Excuse me. Um, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't say they're going to be poor in game three. Um, <laughs> but even then, like I mean. The thing I look for a lot when I'm trying to project in the in the playoffs and even during the regular season is is the process of things, right? Like how how are plays coming to be? Uh, and the Suns, it's just been a lot easier for them. They're getting a bunch of quality looks offensively. Their their scheme defensively against Jokic has been really good, as you mentioned. Kind of they they figured that figured out maybe I don't know if it was it was kind of really late in the first half where they're they're just really going to shrink the floor against Jokic. They're going to win. And you saw, like, when Jokic tried to get post touches, they would front. He would front him with the, his primary defender, and then they bring, they shade the backside help because, you know, if it's Faku trying to make the entry pass, he can't make that skip pass, you know, forty feet to the the weak side corner where maybe Jay Crowder is playing off of Aaron Gordon or whoever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the Denver was like, okay, we'll run pick and pops, and then, uh, and the Suns were like, okay, we'll just switch McKell and Aiton on that play uh, and make it tougher. So. I don't expect there to I mean, I, I don't expect it to go much different. Honestly, like, I, again, I think, you know, the, the Nuggets have two incredible offensive players and MPJ and Jokic, and I expect them to, you know, at least, you know, play better. I mean, you, quite frankly, Jokic has been solid, but he, he hasn't been as good as maybe you'd expect. Like, that's, that's kind of, I mean, it's not necessarily all his fault. Um, and, and obviously we've talked about Porter struggles. So um, I expect them to, you know, maybe play a little better, but I, but the process of how these first two games have gone, I just don't know what, Denver can do to, to change things and that's and I'm not going to count the Nuggets because they've shown such resolve the last couple of years under Malone um, but just schematically I have a tough time seeing what they can do because of kind of how limited they are personnel wise so um, I expect a, a big game or two from from Porter and Jokic um, I think that'll maybe definitely close the gap from compared to what we've seen in you know in Phoenix but I, I just I don't feel confident that I, I, I don't think they can win four out of the next you know five games or whatever it is um, and when you kind of frame it like that, it's just really tough for them, I guess. I said a similar thing when the Clippers went down 2-0 to the Mavericks, but uh, there's a lot there's a lot different process here where the Mavericks were shooting the lights out, and whereas I think the the Suns are 
are pit or schematically picking apart the nuggets in a way that I don't think was quite there in that series. So I, I, I expect to, I don't know exactly what adjustments I'll see, but I don't expect them to be super meaningful from, from Denver, not because they're not smart adjustments, just because they're so limited with what they can, what they can do with the players they have and kind of the, the players they're missing, or even those who are limited because of a guy like Barton, who I know they've said, you know, he said he's risking his health and they've said that he's going to be on pretty significant minutes limit. So, um, they're just in a tough spot. It's not really their fault right now. Yeah, it, it's rough because and Michael Malone is really good about making game to game and even in game adjustments. But there's really it just doesn't seem like there's much that he can do. The Suns are just generating a ton of corner threes, quality looks. I think Bridges started like one for seven from three yesterday, and he just missed three or four wide open ones in the mm-hmm. first half that that would have made it even worse. But um, and, and you know you've got a guy like when you've got a guy like Aiton who picks up those two quick fouls in game two, you're thinking, okay, maybe there's an opening here. They get Jokic rolling and and they make this a series. And then Aiton, I think he was one for five at that point. And then, like you said, Mm -hmm. they switched to zone, they protected him. And I don't think he got, maybe he got one more foul. No, no more fouls the rest of the way. No fouls in the next, you know, 20 minutes that he played. And then he was five of five from the field the rest of the way. So yeah, so <laughs> totally turned it around. Um, so if you've got like if you've got guys shutting down those kind of openings, I, I think the shift to Denver will help. I think I think the Nuggets have like like game three is going to be their best effort. Obviously, this is good. This is do or die time because if they don't win game three, I I, I mean it's probably going to be a sweep, gentlemen sweep at the worst in that case. Um, but you keep, like you said, you can't count out the nuggets. The Suns are very much approaching it with a, every game has a life of its own kind of, uh, mentality, which is good because they're a young team. They can't get cocky or they can't get comfortable. Uh, they can't get happy on the farm as Monty Williams <laughs> likes to say. Um, but Jackson, thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Um, where can the people read your work, listen to your work, um, find you on Twitter, plug, whatever you want to plug. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with my NBA content these days. The easiest way to consume it is just to find me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Every place that I write and talk about the NBA is listed in my bio there. I just wrote a piece on the analyst about kind of what's ailing the Bucks offensively with the Nets are doing well defensively. Um, so you can go check that out. You can just go to the analyst.com. It should be pretty front and center there on the site. Um, I talk about the Sixers and the NBA at large and Locker Room. Um, I think Locker Room is a really cool app. Uh, they're not sponsoring me to plug this, but I think it's a really cool way to engage with with people who, you know, if you like listening to people do podcasts and stuff. So um, would recommend anyone to download that app and not even listen to me, just go find your favorite content creators. So um, appreciate you having me on, Gerald, and I uh, really enjoyed talking about the Suns. As I said, it's been cool to kind of see their rise the last few years, and um, I expect them to have, you know, a, a, a little, a much longer run than just just two games in the second round. So it uh, should be fun to continue following them and kind of see how they how they progress as these things get even even tougher to you know round by round. Absolutely, it was wonderful having you on and being able to talk to you in person about basketball because I've you know been able to read your work at Fansided and yeah. everywhere else for years, but it's nice to be able to talk in person. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Uh, next episode, we'll probably do a G-rated segment on Loki, which just premiered this week. Um, but please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, write me a five-star review. If you are enjoying the show, that's going to do it for this episode. This is Gerald Bourget signing off.